Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Good Bit Podcast. Welcome in, we're here for another episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. It's lovely to be speaking to you all again. My name is Chris Moffat and as always, I am your host and we are here for an iconic film today. It is of course Baz Luhrmann's iconic Moulin Rouge from 2001 starring Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. A powerhouse film, a powerhouse cast and what a guest we have ladies and gents on the good bit this week. Um, Scottish theatre and writing royalty, ladies and gents, an icon in his own right, ladies and gents, it's Mr Johnny McKnight. I've not even started recording yet, Johnny. Wait there, I'll record, record to this device, not to the cloud. The device seems a little bit more reliable than the cloud. I never trust that. I'm like, where is this cloud? Where does it exist? Where is the cloud? How do people get stuff in there is one thing. How do you um, get other folk coming into it? No, they've been folk that interested in what we've got to say about you, Chris. Do you know what I mean? The Russians are really going to go, <laughs> let's go and hear what they're saying about Moulin Rouge and their, their love for Nicole Kidman. I don't think that's going to be a <laughs> risk factor, but still, you never know. You don't know. You know, it's like Alexa. You know what I mean? It's like, why that's people true. don't want to talk around her? Do you know what I mean? So. I'm at, the, mere, the bigger audience are half the better, Alexa. Listen <laughs> and enjoy yourself. Big Brother's always listening. You know? Exactly. Um, all right, we're here, Johnny. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Um, really appreciate you coming on. And I was just saying to you that I was, I was looking at Tyler Collins on Twitter there, and he's been on the podcast before. Um, and then earlier on this this month, I had Cole Stewart on the podcast. All right, aye. That was the last time I saw you perform, was at the Tron Panto uh, back in yep. December. And I said to both of them, um, out of the, all the Pantos I saw late 2022, I think I saw four or something, yours was by far my favourite. And I'm not just saying that. I had like close friends and other ones. I wouldn't even. I'm just not gonna tell them. But right. yours was my favourite. How how was it doing panto oh, this time of year? <laughs> oh, do you know, Chris? I love it. I've done it now for years. So I have panto now since. Oh God, I can't remember the first time. But I've done it for about about eighteen years or something like that now. Yep. But uh, last year, I'm not gonna lie. I was nervous getting it because I hadn't done anything for three years because of COVID. Yep. And, and all that. So it was a wee bit like I hadn't been on a stage for nearly three years. So you know that way you go, I think everybody does it, don't you? When you perform, you just go, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then as soon as you've got an audience, so you're like, oh, aye, it's fine. I remember what you did. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. The biggest thing was fitness levels was shocking. Like, really? Oh, shocking. It was shocking. Like the first day back at rehearsals. And I think because I only really day panel, do you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm not the most cast of black, do you know what I mean? I don't put myself in spotlight anywhere because you're like, I'm limited what I can play. I can play somebody for Ayrshire, possibly a hairdresser <laughs> at a push, if no somebody called Johnny. That's about my two main roles I could do, um, or a dame in a panto. And so I don't even, I don't really pick myself up for that anymore. But yeah. I just, I, I just had forgot because I'd been sitting at a desk for so long writing in that, that I was like, oh, you forget that actually... Yep. You need to be physically fit today. That's like, and I mean, don't get angry by the end yet. I was like, all right, this is it's a shame I never started it like this. Right. The first week of rehearsals, I was like, a broken man. <laughs> you know I, mean? I was like, oh, I can't believe that I forget how hard. But I love it. Like, I wouldn't change it. You go, it's a it's a total privilege. You give folk their Christmas night out. That's it. Meaning, like, you do. And the great thing about panel, especially for somebody like me who's got a wee bit of. Well, self-diagnosed. I've never been to the doctors, but I'm sure I've got ADHD or something. <laughs> so it's good for me because you never do the same show twice. You know what I mean? You That's just what like, say. you get to vamp with the audience and you know whatever they're up for. You can kind of gauge it and all that, and just come after yep. script. And if anything goes wrong, it's no a disaster. The show's no, it's actually all adds to the madness. Eh, which I love. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've never done the full-on, like, you know, two shows a day for whatever it is, seven weeks or whatever it is, you know, in, in right. December sort of time. And it's like, always go and see them every year and it always looks so absolutely exhausting. Do you know what I mean? But it looks Aye. so much fun. You know, I worked yes. at the Pavilion Theatre, like I worked there front of the house and right. I like I saw the same panto every night. For that amount of time. The whole run. The whole run, aye. Um, well, I, I say that it was the one that got cut short because of COVID, so it like, finished on Christmas aye. Eve, do you know what I mean? So they missed about a week. But... Still, aye. Aye. It's mad. I mean, it's great though, like you just go, and it's no for everybody, like that is the thing, you go, some actors absolutely are like, right. no, no for me. And in a way, I think that's fine because you go, like I did a Shakespeare once and I was a bit like, that's mm. no for me. Do you know what I mean? Like it just wasn't, my... I had a nice time doing it, I loved all the folk I was working with, I really enjoyed but I was like, at the end of it, ah, I've done that. <laughs> I spent more time trying to work out what I was saying, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the paranoia of not knowing if I was saying things right and talking in a language I didn't quite get and trying to make sense. So I was, so it's that thing, and you just need to know what you like and what you love and all that, and if you're lucky, you get to do that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I did a Shakespeare show within my college, like it was like a thing we were doing at summertime, Shakespeare in their courtyard, and it was like an outdoor thing or whatever, and like, it was a total disaster. Like, it was all windy and stuff like that, and it just oh. threw everybody off. No one really knew what they were saying. Nah. Um, it just, nah. It's either for you or it's not. <laughs> you know 100%. I mean? so, 100%. And you go... Mere power to all those folk that absolutely love it. I'm like, there's plenty of them. I'll just, I'll stick to panto. I'll stick to stoning about singing and dancing at the side. Do you know what I mean? And listen, if that's what you enjoy, then that's what you do. Do you know what I mean? It's all about finding stuff that, you know, is, is the most right. enjoyable part of it. You know, you don't want to make it a chore, you know? No. As my pal, my pal Anita Vitesse always says, just remember you're playing at shops. Aye. <laughs> and like, do you know what I mean? So you just, if you're playing at shops, you want to make sure it's the shop that you want to work in. Do you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> You know what I mean? Definitely. Kind of, uh, you want to find the thing that you love and the kind of genre you love and that bit. And I, I mean, I've been dead lucky, do you know what I mean? Because, like, I day Tron and I day McRobert, mm -hmm. and both of them I get to have a pure hoot on it, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You get to work with your pals, or and if even if you don't know them, the event, you, you work that closely, you end up getting to know everybody really well, because, you know, yep. being be 10 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night is going to do that, do you know what I mean? Every night, every day, absolutely. Aye. You become a wee family. Totally. totally. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean though about like the whole returning to stage or whatever after COVID. I know everybody kind of is going to use that as an excuse, do you know what I mean? But it was so true. Um, oh, wow. I, I did, I went to the, the fringe last year, I did a, a wee quick run at the fringe, and um, it was like when I was about to do the show, I was like getting back into the groove and stuff. I've not done this in a while and stuff, but I was like, what if I forget something? You know what I, I mean? Like, what if I forget that I have to say all these words? It's just second nature before, but I hadn't uh -huh. done it for three years, yeah. So I was like, what on earth, what's going to happen? Like, is the and whole then, show going to fall apart? And did you find that it was all just there, Chris, when you went back? Or were you, like, kind of going, oh, like, how did you fund it when you went back to it? It was all right. It was, it was a kind of um, community theatre kind of company. So there wasn't a lot of other kind of, like, people who had call themselves actors. Do you know what I mean? It was, like, a lot of people just volunteering and stuff like that as well. So it was, like, relying on them for cues and uh -huh. things, which is always a nightmare. But once we kind of get into the, the swing of things, it was fine. Right. Um, but at first, I was terrified. Absolutely right. terrified. Um, I'm quite a confident person, but when it comes to that, I was like, I want to make sure I don't want to be the one that lets the side down. Totally. You know what I mean, that's the one thing. And it's that thing of like learning lines, like it is a brain test. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you go and it is that thing of if you don't use that part of your brain, like it does get harder. You know what I mean? If you, if you're in the and actually, weirdly enough, I found that easier than I thought it was be. It was the physical thing. The brain stuff right. seems to go in all right. But you still, I don't know about you, but I always find part of the thing I always get stressed about, about performing in a show is I'm always like, what if I forget? What if I don't know it? What if one day, 
because I've dried on stage. I mean, I dried yeah. a million one year in Panto where I was like show 47 and could not remember where I was. And folk were feeding me my cue lines and I was literally, I, I don't have a clue what I'm saying here. Somebody had to run off stage and bring on the script for me. Now, luckily it was Panto and folk were screaming laugh and you can take the mic out yourself for it. <laughs> And it was Robbie Jack who loved that. I had no idea what I was doing on stage, but it was, it felt like the longest minute of my entire life where I was like, this is it. This is the moment where I'll never go back on the stage because I don't <laughs> know how to remember words. When actually all it was is that thing where you lose concentration because you're thinking, it's show 47, I know what I'm doing. And then you're exactly. Thinking, no, you don't get back on it. I'll <laughs> need something that will wake you back up. It's horrendous, isn't it? We just sit there and you go, oh my God, I have I no idea what to uh, say. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, man. Um, well, obviously, Tron Panto's become, you know, something that you're really known for. Um, but what I know you for is is through Small Town, right? Um, right. I kind of mentioned this on the, the email I sent you, right? So uh-huh. when I was at drama college, Small Town kind of like became like the play that I always used for things, right? Right. Um, more so, uh, the... So my main kind of speech was the one, the boxing kangaroo one. That was yeah. like my speech. Um, and then my showcase scene was the one where she grows the tail. Both scenes, not yours. Not mine. However, yeah. <laughs> however the, the the scene that's used the most, I think, and people look at and remember the most, the most memorable scene from that play is Margaret and Trudy, isn't it? From the, I, I've, stuck I've in the freezer. That. I have seen that at quite a few college shows. I have to say a few college graduates. It's, it's like small town it's kind of weird because small town loads of schools seem to do it and like schools, absolutely. I and like schools and colleges seem to do it quite a lot. I get quite a lot of emails for folk just like I think, looking for a bigger, deeper meaning in what's there. Do you know what I mean? But literally, it was one of these shows. Me and my pal Julie, we left college and we formed a theatre company called Random Accomplice. We ran it for nearly 15 years. We've actually just dissolved it the new because you know, there was everything's got a shelf life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and Small Town came about because it was a review of one of our shows. And at the reviewer, it was Mark Mark Fisher for The Guardian who wrote about one of our shows. There must be something in the water in Ayrshire that's produced uh, Ayrshire playwrights, Johnny McKnight, Douglas Maxwell and DC Jackson. And I went, ah. Oh. And, I, and I knew them both socially. Like, I loved Douglas was man. He mentored to me when I was writing my first play. Cool. And Dad, Worked, I mean, I worked in the sets bar, Daniel worked at the sets as well. So I kind of knew both them socially and all that. And I was like, I'm just going to ask them maybe do like a wee something about Ayrshire and what is in the water in Ayrshire and we'll write wee many plays about each based on their hometowns. And it sort of beca- and that became small town. And I mean, it's funny because it was a total love letter to address it. And, and I worked for years in Safeway, showing my age there. Um, <laughs> I worked at Safeway uh, Cafe for nearly 10 years. We, my two, and my two really best pals were Margaret and Trudy. And, right. um, <laughs> um, and the Saturday Lassie was literally, um, we called her Dolly Murphy. Her name wasn't the Dolly, but we called her Dolly Murphy because she always get things wrong. Uh, weirdly enough, she's now married to my best pal's wee brother, right? It's quite bizarre. <laughs> I just thought, I'm going to write a love letter to when I worked in that supermarket yeah. to Trudy. So I didn't even change their names. Like, I didn't change their names a bit. I probably, it was one of the quickest things I've ever written. Really? Um, oh, oh it was, I did it. It was so quick. I wish I could write like that all the time. But it was yeah. because I, I know how to write about these two women. I know exactly what we talk about. I know the routine of opening up a coffee shop. And um, so, we, and it was kind of amazing when we did it, and like we toured it all in Scotland and stuff, and the audiences really went for it. 
and you voted on whatever tune, one tune got allowed to be saved, and you voted for what tune got the antidote at the end, and then you kind of got it. So it was like a choose your own end in the audience voting. Yeah, yeah. And it was like a total brilliant night. We went to Kilmarnock, which was the Ayrshire, the kind of tune in Ayrshire that we could get for the programme. And Margaret and Trudy were there seeing it, and my mum and dad were there. My mum was up screaming, vote addressing and all that. Like, it was a riot. <laughs> and it was so amazing watching them, and they were literally just going, I mean, that day she did a change that bin bag. I'll never forgive her for that. Like, <laughs> I, it was, it's just one of the plays, like, loads of, it's kind of nice that folks still really like it. But I think it's because... Like the thing that I loved about that whole project is it was very West, it was very Scottish in terms of take a big ridiculous sci-fi situation and then plonk it in like you know what I mean? Plonk right. it in and it feels like a different thing. Do you know what I mean? Like Shaun of the Dead and all that. Yeah. Like it's dead Scottish sense of humor. And I think that's what folk I think that's why folks still like it. Do you know what I mean? Ah, it's so relatable. I think that's, you know, one of the big reasons, you know what I mean? Um, that's what I was going to ask you, like, how, how do you feel when you're, you know, auditioning people or you're, you're watching it and you're literally watching, like, someone doing your writing, essentially? It's bizarre. You. It's so it's weird. Bi- it's bizarre. It's bizarre because well, sometimes um, I absolutely hate it because all I see is things I'd want to change in the script. Got you. So I literally am watching it going, oh, why did I write that? That's a stinker line. Oh, that hasn't aged well. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I'm a really, I'm really critical of myself. So, I, but I find it, I think it's really flattering. I think MD that says it's knows at it. Like, of course it's flattering. I think it's flattering that if somebody likes something you've written, they want to do that as something that they would use as their thing or anything you've been involved in. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was yeah. thrilling even. I think Small Town might have been the first script we ever got published. Right, so yeah. That was, like, amazing to see your name on a script. Like, that wee thrill doesn't disappear. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I remember even the first time as an actor and seeing my name in the script and the biog and all that, I was like, oh my God, I've got, like, if I die, my name might still exist somewhere. It's written down somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Absolutely. It has absolutely, like, affected people. Do you know what I mean? In terms of, like, wanting to get into more Scottish theatre and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was doing that. That, that, that boxing kangaroo monologue I'd been doing for oh, ages. So good. In my lecture at the time, Ian Grieve yeah. also told me that you're coming in to do, like, a mock edition or whatever. And I was like, oh, Ian, I don't know if I can. I can do that, you know, monologue from that play. And he's like, you have to do it for him. And I didn't know if it was going to be like a pure ready. Do you know what I mean? Like you're sitting going, you know, I've done this already. But like, it must be weird seeing, you know, your name on all these things. But it's also that thing of going, like it's like seeing things like mock editions and all that. I know that's a terrible thing to admit, right? It's actually quite nice when it's something you've actually directed or worked on because you can then go, can you try that again? But this right. thing, this bit where he's talking about Montgomery and date with a twitch and you know what I mean? So like there was a I directed years ago a a show where loads of young people I played DNA that loads of folk date right like, now it's still done loads Dennis Kelly. And I've seen a bit of, I mean, I'm no lying, anytime you do auditions with young people, usually the lasses do a speech for DNA. Yep. I'm always a bit like, yes, I know how to direct this. This is good. I can totally get in about it. And like, we can actually work together because it's not me going, what's that about? What happens before it? And what happens after it? So I, and and folk think you're always comparing it to something else, but there's not, it's like singing a song, like folk have their own twist on it. It never sounds the same way twice. Yeah. I mean, like, and you go, so like, your version's not going to be the same as Richard Conlon just by your age, by your location, your accent. It's going to be totally different. It's a different feel, which is the kind of exciting thing about 
why you would be acting and all that in it is to go with the bring to the part and stuff. Doing it differently. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny you say that. Richard Conlon was in that Scottish play with Tyler Collins and I was like, what I, you know, I was yeah. thinking about this earlier on. I was like, oh, hi, he was in the original. Was the, was the original cast of Small Town? Or was it? He was original. He did. He was Hanny. He was original cast. And the only reason I got into Dane Panto was because, well, I'd been doing it. At, the only reason I got into working in McBob, I'd been working at Dunfermline Dane Panto, but the only reason I got into McBob, which I've been there now for nearly 15 years, on and off, was because Richard Conlon turned it down and I was second choice. <laughs> I, and so, and if it hadn't been for him turning it down, I would never have got to write a panto, because then I did a wow. couple of years there and I was like, can I not write next year's panto? I think you should be letting somebody Scottish write it. So, yeah. I, Richard Conlon seems like he's the um, Kevin Bacon of Degrees of Separation <laughs> or whatever, isn't it? He's kicking about in New York as well. I know. Um, so how did it get started for you in terms of wanting to perform and stuff? Obviously, you mentioned how you get started in Panto, but what, what was like the first kind of thing that made you want to go, I want to be an actor or a performer or whatever? I, um, do you know, when I was, like, we, as in, like, really young, I guess I used to do, like, writing plays in my bedroom or... Yeah. But I, we never had... We, I'm fair dressing, so we didn't have drama in the days. There was no, like... You get drama as part of your English, and I always loved doing the reading out or whatever. I'll be John Proctor and all that. <laughs> um, but it was never like done as in standing up. It was just like standard grade and then higher English or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about 17, a letter came round just advertising for a youth theatre. And it was in Glasgow. And I was like, do you know what? I might go to that because I'd done all right in my exams in fifth year. So I was kind of just, six years was my coasting year. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> So I thought, I'm going to go up to that wee youth theatre and see what like it is. And then as soon as I went, I was like, oh, I love this. Like, I just, it felt like I'd met my pals. Like, loads of people for that youth theatre are still, like, my best pals um, to this day. Yeah. And uh, I, like, for the film I'm talking about, like, that was my best pal, Michelle. That's my best pal, Michelle. Met her at youth theatre and, like... Can I imagine a pal Joe and we all met at that place and it just felt like something had clicked that I hadn't quite felt before. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It was like, oh, I found sort of, I didn't even know I loved this and I didn't think I was good enough for it. And I, and I was going to go and study law. I'd get into law school at Strath Clyde and the the youth theatre director, all my pals at youth theatre were all applying to RSA, the conservatoire I'm now, but mm-hmm. RSA back in the days or Langside or Coat Bridge, all the different colleges. I'd never heard any of them. Do you know right. what I mean? I, just, I didn't know you could do things like that, if I'm being honest. I didn't know you even went to study to be an actor, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, the director pulled me aside and was like, I don't understand why you're not going to drama school when everybody else is. And they were like, if you want to go to drama school, I'll be your reference. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Right. But I was going to law, so I, I kept on it. I did my first year at law, and I started my first lecture. And I've told this story loads, but it's when you go fate sticks, it's never end in it. And the first lecture I got in my law, it was a big, massive lecture hall, 300 folk. This wee tiny guy starts it, and he's like, the first line, no word delight. He said, there's more unemployed lawyers in Scotland than there is actors. You're joking. That's what he said? Mm-hmm. Swear to God. The first thing he said, nah, in my heart, I went, I'm out. I'm this. And I did at the end of first year, I quit it. And I went and worked in my, my coffee shop that I ended up writing Small Town about. I worked in there for two years till I eventually got into drama school. And wow. I just kept auditioning. I was three, I was my third attempt before I got into drama school. But I was like, I'm just doing it. And to be fair, I was so clueless and it was pre-internet days. 
I didn't right. know you had any other drama schools other than the RSMD. So I just was like, I'll apply there, and if I don't get in, I'll apply next year. I didn't go anywhere else, didn't make any other additions. Partially because I didn't know there were other places. And also because I was like, well, I want to go to uni. I don't want to go to a college because I had you didn't get the funding. If you, I was allowed a false start, and I couldn't right. afford to pay my own fees or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. Know the background I've came from, so I was like, I need to go to this place because I can't do an HNC because I'll not get funded if I want to go to college and blah. Yep. But I, I just kind of kept in at it, joined Amdram groups, was writing plays and all that all the time, just trying to keep my. I mean, I was so clueless that I I went and auditioned for drama school and I did um, Othello as my monologue. All right. They said to me, "Do you think you'd be a good Othello?" And I was like, "I'm a bit young. I've no idea." <laughs> I had no idea. I'd never done a Shakespeare. I'd never heard it. I just knew I had to do a Shakespeare monologue. I went through Shakespeare plays in the library and I seen a fellow had a big speech and I went, oh, I think I understand that. And they went, you do understand that he's a moor? And I went, yeah, because there's a lot of farms round about me. I thought moor was a farm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I was like, no, like clueless. Right. Then another time I auditioned, they said to me, that's a really good speech. What's it been? I said, oh, it's, this, the internet did exist then. And uh, I went, oh, I got it in the internet. And they went, what else happens in the plane? I went, oh, I can't be bothered reading it. <laughs> I wasn't even lying. I can't be bothered reading it. I went, crap, Dale, just learn that. <laughs> Give me the speech. Aye. <laughs> totally. Um, so, aye. I wouldn't advise anybody does that. There's a reason I don't no. get any years, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Take you three times. Totally. Three times. I got there in the end. And you've written all these pantos and stuff. I'd look at you now. Do you know what I mean? Imagine imagine you didn't leave that law degree though. Oh my god. Well, I mean the thing is, is I, I could I could still see myself as a lawyer. I love the drama. Do you know what I mean? I thought right. about a courtroom would be excellent. Like I thought Alan McBeal and all that. Do you know what I mean? That was right. like my legal reference points. I thought it was the drama I loved and the wee wig and all that. And then you're like, oh, that's not what it's going to be at all. No. Anytime I go into like a role play, you know what I mean, one of those co- corporate role play things, uh-huh. they're all, like, and the lawyer comes in, and obviously they go, so you know, yeah, full time actor, and I'm like, oh well, I'm trying, and no, no, now, and all that stuff. The usual pattern, and they're like, oh, you know, there's a lot of similarities between us. You know, there's a lot of acting involved in what I do. And I was like, I bet there is. I uh-huh. bet there's. I bet the pressure would would kind of. Oh, get I mean, to I, me, I, think. I mean, I don't even understand how I would want to, how I could do that job. Like in terms of the bigger picture of the job, I could totally if somebody went right flounce about knowing hit the table and say you object and all that. Like I'd Aye. kind of love to do a legal drama or something like that, like as in direct it or like be in it or something. I would love. Don't know if I'd love to write it. I don't know if that would float my boat, but I would love to be like in the dramatic say it, like in the bullpen. Yeah. You know, I've been called for jury duty four times and I've never gone once. And I yeah. thought, like... Did you never turn up, or did they not let you through? Well, I had well the first time I had an audition, so I told them that they let me go. And then the three other times I had things booked, so I just couldn't make it sort of thing, right? right. But I thought, like, when I was younger, it was like, you can't get out of it. Like, it is, like, you're so strict. But it's relatively easy. But next time I said I get it, right? I'm going to get it again a fifth time. I'm going to go because I want to see... I defeat you know, like it is. I mean, if it's hard to go... I think if it's a bad case, you might regret that. But... It is that yes. thing I've got, you know what I mean? But you go, there is something about it that probably appeals to us as actors in terms of going, it's so theatrical about how you, the language is different and there, there's all these rules and who you're playing to the audience of the jury and you're manipulating language. Like you go, it is totally a court of theatrics, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, what about when it comes to watching films? Like, is there, is there an early memory you have of watching a film for the first time or finding a, like a first favourite film? Or even like when you went to the cinema for the first time? 
I, well, I've got, cinema for the first time was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They'd nice. been released it. They'd been released it in the 80s. And if I remember right, we went to this cinema and all I remember is the witch coming on and running out my seat and hiding behind like the kind of barrier at the back. Yeah. Utterly terrified of the witch and Snow White. I remember that quite vividly. Um, childhood film, I remember this old film called Champ. I think it was a film of my mom and my dad's. Have you ever seen Champ? John I don't Boyd? think so. It, it rings a bell, but I don't think I've seen it. Ricky Schroeder or something. He was, in, um, he was like six or something. It's about an old boxer and his dad gets killed in the boxing ring and it's a wee boy screaming, get up, Champ, at the end. Yeah, it would bring a tear to a glass eye. I remember being like six or something watching that going, his dad's dead, so he's died. I've never watched it as an adult, but I remember going, he's dead. And then literally going, oh, people die. All right, this isn't great. <laughs> I'm having and, a great day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then there's all like those films I think you watch in your childhood that you still put on as I caught the hangover days, like that are so totally associated with like being like 10 or something. Like mine's was all stuff like a lot about midler films, like uh, big business, um, or else there was like Goldie Hawn, Death Becomes or all the kind of like 1980s, early 1990s movies, Adventures in Babysitting. I probably watched that a million times on a loop. Elvira, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I probably could recite you every single line. And then there's a couple of films. It's like me and my wee sister. She's 10 years younger than me. But I remember like maybe babysitting her and stuff. And we used to always watch either Mary Poppins or Calamity Jane. Right. Old school musical sort of thing. So I there's loads like I, I was I was dead into films, but I would get a wee bit obsessed that I would want to watch it every week. Beaches, right. Midler Beaches, I must have watched about a million times growing up. Sad films again. Um, I so as a kid, I did. I had like certain favourites, and even now, I would still go back and watch the same things. And I missed out a big section. Like I, I've got to this age, and only during lockdown had I watched an Indiana Jones. Never seen nice. it. I had never seen a never. I've still never seen a Star Wars. Oh, see, I was going to ask you about Star Wars. Maybe never now. seen a Star Wars. Never seen a Star Wars. Um, there's certain films still never seen something like Philadelphia. There's certain films. Right. See when folk tell me you should watch this film, it pits me right off, <laughs> and I almost avoid it. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's like, oh, you love this. How yeah. do you know? <laughs> I might not. I remember about maybe five years ago, my best pal Michelle was like, "We're going to watch Stand by Me." Well, I was thoroughly unimpressed. <laughs> She's like, this is my greatest childhood film ever. And I was like, no. I said, and then I remember another time, I was like, I'm going to make you watch Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And it was literally my two pals were literally like, Joe and Michelle were just like, this is garbage. I don't right. understand why you think this is funny. It's absolutely the worst film I've ever seen. There's nothing worse when you're sitting going like, wait, you'll love this, but wait, do you you'll see love this? You're howling. And seeing a film, but also it's that weird thing when you watch it through somebody else's eyes, you start seeing all the flaws in it and you go, oh, wow, that is quite bad. Oh, I, I don't know if you should say that in this day and age. Oh, yeah. I, that is the, that is the very good politics. Do you know what I mean? Like you start to, you, whatever love you have here, it's a bit like yeah. when you have a holiday romance and you bring them home to meet somebody in the real life. <laughs> then you're like, oh, actually, no, this is a disaster. It feels a bit like that, watching a film through somebody else's eyes. Please don't judge me. Oh, 100%. <laughs> 100%. I just watched all the Star Wars with my partner, right? And she was like, I'm watching it and like she's enjoying it and stuff like that. But I'm like, this is one of my favourite movies of all time. And I'm getting really deep and serious. And then uh-huh. we're watching it and it's like folk jumping about the lightsabers and that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You're like, uh-huh. like oh. it. it's a metaphor for something else. <laughs> He's using the force, look. And she's totally like, is. what? <laughs> in a way, you just need to have your own wee obsessions and keep it to yourself in it. It's like, I know. 
it's like if you can find something get them on. I used to always date with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I used mm. to force people to watch Buffy Fate and be like, don't worry about season one because I've had 13 episodes. So they like, it gets better. Wait to season two. Wait to season two. And then most of the time, folk would go on the journey way you season two. And then some point times you get to a point with pals and you'd be like, ah, right, nah, just turn that off. You're never going to get this. You're not, you're not enjoying this, are you? You're yeah. ruining it for me now, actually. This is actually <laughs> you can read the room. Uh-huh. But I was sitting there like thinking, you know, but this moment when I have a girlfriend one day, we're going to watch this film and it's going to be great. And then it actually happened and we're watching the film together and I was like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't no. as joyful as I thought it was going to be. No, this is my love. Actually, that's what it needs to stay as. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like to share this love. Aye. Uh, what about what you're watching just now? You got anything on rotation just now? Or can you remember the last time you went to the cinema? It's, oh, the cinema actually, Scream, si- uh, Scream mm-hmm. 6 was last... So, and I went myself because it seems like, I don't know, all my pals, they all came, a lot of my pals came and made see Scream 5. And then I think they were like, right, we've indulged that. Just you go yourself. <laughs> Scream, Scream 6 comes along and you're like, right, what is it now? I was like, I need to go the dates released because there'll be spoilers if I don't go. The dates released, something's going to come up on TikTok or right. on Twitter and it's going to be ruined. So I need to go. Folk were like, bye. <laughs> But actually, I quite like the cinema myself. I have to be honest. It's I, I find it. It's the same as going to the theatre. I don't mind doing either of the things myself. I find them quite relaxing. Yeah, like just and also it lets me enjoy it rather than worry about if other folk are. I think I can get a bit of like I get too interested in what other folks' opinion is and the thing that I'm watching. That sometimes it can sway what I really think. So yeah. Scream Six, which I totally loved, but I love the Scream movies. And again, I think it's a wee bit of like. A bit of nostalgia, but it's like a new version of nostalgia. Do you know what I mean? So you're yeah. still still getting Ghostface, I'm still getting Courtney Cox, and it feels like the same thing. I went to see. I mean, I went to see the first Scream to about whenever that came out. What is it? Twenty years ago or something? Ninety four or some of that. Ninety something like that. Right. So I went. Oh, to yeah. a mid, I went to a midnight showing, and that first ten minutes with Drew Barrymore. I remember turning around my Pauline and literally going to him. If the whole film's last, we need to go. I can't start through this. This is too much. Too scary. Oh my god, I was terrified. I was literally like, "This is my worst fear realized." Somebody, somebody watching me through Wendy's gone. What door am I coming through? The front of the back. I was like, "No, I'm out of here. This is a nightmare. <laughs> this is a nightmare. I, I don't think I can cope with that." And then the rest of the film gets much lighter, except for other deaths, obviously. But obviously. like the first ten minutes, I still go. That is a masterpiece to me in terms of being scared. I still go. That is. My worst fears, I imagined being in a house myself and knowing somebody's going about outside. <laughs> he's watching me through Wendy, uh-huh. and especially because she makes good decisions and all that. She doesn't make terrible decisions, so that's what's worse. Whereas when you watch some of the other films, you're like, idiot, you deserve this to happen to you. What did you what expect? You know what uh-huh. I mean? Out the front door, no, out the upstairs balcony. What are you doing? Like front door, back door. Come on now, ground level. Stay on it. Did you see the new horror film Megan that came out? Yes. Basically a rework of uh, child's play though, isn't it? Yeah. I was just gonna I ask still... you what you thought. I thought it was quite I thought it was quite creepy. I thought it was really good. Did you watch the, the last updated version of Child's Play, the one that's Aubrey Plaza? No. Watch it because it's pretty much identical and it was out a few years before. Right. And it's it's basically Chucky's an AI machine, but the parental controls have been overrode and it starts. So it's pretty much the same as me. I really liked it, but I kept going, this is the same as Child's Play. This is what they did in the Child's Play update. But I still liked it because I am a king of gadgets and everything's pure. Right. I like to turn my lights on and all that. So I still loved that, like, 
that AI thing where you're going to can control your motor and it can control this and it'll be able to the world the AI world will take us out and kill us. Do you know what I mean? So I liked yeah. it, and and it's a good it's a good bit of comedy about it too. It was at some points I was like I can't even believe they just made uh-huh. that joke because it's to- totally a tone shift. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like um, when she's doing the weird wee dance and all that in the corridor. I, like, this is just mad, but I'm kind of up for it. It's mental. What about Smile? Did you see that one? I've not seen Smile yet because I'm no sure. Sh- Sometimes if it's too scary, I don't like watching it in the house myself. Got you. I, I mean, it was pretty scary. It was pretty, I, I'm not I'm not good with horror. I'm not good no. with horror, but it was pretty scary. I'm all right with horror if it's got comedy. I can watch it myself. But if there's something that I go, this might be the wrong side of horror and it freaks me out. I watched that film. It's an older, you know, The Strangers. Have you seen that? Uh, I, don't know. I don't know. And it's based on a true story. I'll See, not ruin it for you. It's a couple that basically go to an Airbnb late at night or something like that. They're at a wedding. And some there's three people in like Mickey Mouse masks standing in the driveway and they ring the doorbell. And it oh, just God. was downhill for there. So, and it's based on a true story. I'll not ruin it because the ending is kind of sensational. It's, it's really good, but it unnerved me for days. <laughs> days. That's another thing. It's like a psychological thing, isn't it? You're just sitting yeah. there thinking about it for days. Yeah, was years ago. No, go for it. What one? I was just going to say, have you seen Us? Uh, John Peel film? Uh-huh. That's a bit like that. I thought you just look aside and it's the doppelgangers. They're all standing at the driveway. Oh, you're like, don't answer the door. Don't answer the door. Why oh, would you man. answer the door? It's just, it was years ago I went to see at the cinema Final Destination. Mm. And I swear to God, no, it's probably also as well because I've got an overactive imagination. But for about two weeks, I felt like I've seen my own death. I felt like death. <laughs> I was going, this road looks really like it's jumping out at me. Something bad's going to happen. And there's like, I was just, and I was like, I've not been in the real death that the Grim Reaper's coming for me. But I started <laughs> imagining that it was coming for me. Do you know what I mean? Aye. You just get with that sometimes, don't you? Aye. You just can't really. That's when you go, it's a brilliant film when it gets. Like, I still love one of my childhood films, and I should have been allowed to watch it, but you know what it's like, you do. Along with all like, the beaches and stuff, my other childhood favourite was Nightmare on Elm Street. Classic. And like, I will still watch a Freddy Krueger, like, Aye. quite happily. And to me, they're all looks a genius, even the terrible ones. I still am like, I still love nothing better than watching a Freddy Krueger. I've watched the documentary about it. There's like an eight-hour documentary about it. And I've watched it about four times. Sometimes I put it on as I'm going to my bed at night. That's in the background, a Freddy Krueger documentary. And it's part nostalgia. And also because I love the terror of in your dreams, somebody could kill you and you die. Aye, and that's that. Aye, because also as well, you know that thing folk go, oh, you should never, if you die in your dreams, you die in real life. Right. I watch myself die in my dreams all the time. And you're fine. I'm still here, I'm talking to you, I'm not a ghost, hopefully. I hope um, so. I hope this isn't an episode of The Sixth Sense. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> aye, like, I, I love that. I love some, I love a horror when it's like a wee bit of psychological in it and you go, oh, that's interesting. Because also, Nightmare on Elm Street was based on real life stories of kids that were, for in, I think it was China, loads of kids that were sleeping and dying in their sleep from right. they knew what was the reason for it. Well, I mean, a very similar film to Nightmare on Elm Street is uh, Moulin Rouge. Almost the same. Uh-huh. Almost the same. That must have Almost. been inspired. <laughs> uh, when I, I, I love the fact that you came back so quickly with this because I was usually a lot of people are like, I don't know my favourite film or whatever, but it's so hard to pick. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But when I asked you, Moulin Rouge was was the first thing that came to mind straight away. Easy. Easy. But I mean, I've got ones that I go, there's probably a top 10 for everybody. Isn't there? I know. First place maybe changes now and again. But Moulin Rouge is probably a hard 
first for me. I don't think there's anything that will top it for loads of reasons, right? I've always loved musicals and and I love pop music. And it felt like Moulin Rouge was almost somebody. I think the only way I can describe the same thrill, it was like somebody getting in your head and making something that you you didn't know you needed. Right. It was a bit like when Apple released iTunes years ago. I felt like somebody, I was like a catalogue of music. This is my dream come true, where I can type in the song and it's going to play straight away. I don't need to fast forward tapes or change albums. Yep. When music went digital, I was like, oh my God, this is like somebody has invented the thing I've been waiting for my whole life. And that's totally what I felt like with Moulin Rouge. I remember that first 10 minutes and it's obviously taking you to Paris and all that. And it goes, it's like, I, I had no idea what I was watching because it's so many jump cuts and going like the clappers. And yeah. and, and I genuinely was like, and then he sings The Hills Are Alive with the sound of music at the top of the ladder and I get the goosebumps. And then just when I thought it couldn't get in, then Nicole Kidman descends and all that. And then just when you think it couldn't get any better, Tiny fucking Minogue appears as a green fairy. I was like, this is like my dream come true. I've no idea. And then, you know, I've always been a mad Kylie fan. I was like, this is like the world has came together. It gave me everything I've ever needed in life. I mean, it's like a dream cast. And then you don't even think Kylie's going to be in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you go, oh, hi. Well, it was meant to be, it was meant to be Ozzy Osbourne. And he got recast at the last kick. He was meant to be the Green Fairy. Really? Yep. It was Ozzy Osbourne. He even recorded it. And at the very last minute, he swapped it to Kylie. No difference. Jeez, oh. No difference whatsoever, but they decided to go for a Tinkerbell rather than like a scary demon. Wow. And it was kind of, but, and it was also my best pal, Michelle, me and her went to see it during the day. And I just remember coming out the cinema and the two is buzzing. Your buzz. Like literally just gone, I cried my heart out at the end. I mean, it's totally, I totally get it. Folk, if you don't like a musical, you're going to hate Milan Rouge. Do you know right. what I mean? Because it's like a musical on steroids. If you go, why are they bursting into song? Then, you you know, if you're a film purist, if you're like, what year is this set? And how do they know the Beatles? You're not going to enjoy Moulin Rouge. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're just, no. But, oh, God, I just couldn't have loved it. The art direction, I think, is amazing. Nicole Kidman. And it's also that thing which I do. I love musical theatre. But what I love about it is that it's about acting first and foremost and you go Nicole Kidman's no the best singer in the world by any manner of means no acts the shit out of it and I'm like that's all you need to be as an actor you just need to fully commit and I'd never seen her date be as funny or as like old school Hollywood and Aye. still do you know what I mean like just it was to me and likeable likeable and the face fully moves and you know what I mean like just just sensational and then you've got that big Roxanne number which is all obviously proper dancers gone for the clappers and Craig Armstrong obviously Scottish composer all the versions mm-hmm. of the songs are stunning yeah I just I, I think I went to see it at the cinema maybe four times maybe five I just literally was like I need to go back and see that and I've watched it I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched it especially that's another hangover film yeah and, I watch all the deleted scenes, the storyboard scenes of what the alternate opening was going to be, the different makeup tests where Nicole Kidman did a short black bob and it doesn't look anywhere near as good as the hair they gave her. I'm a total geek on it. I love it. And then obviously they've done the stage show in London, which is good, but it's no the film. Nothing will beat the film. I've not seen it. I've not seen the stage show. Um, it's good. It's good. It's a good night out. Me and my pal, Michelle, again, we both went doing this like, going, well, we love this film. The guy totally... It was one of the things where you day go, 
like the reverse of what you're saying we're watching Star Wars with your girlfriend, it's one of the ones where you go with somebody and they love it just as much. So the two he's almost come out and it's like you've been on, I don't know, it's like you've had an amazing night out on drugs or something like that. Not that I've ever taken drugs, but if I had, I'm sure that's what it would feel like. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? When you go, somebody else is just as hyped as you. Own it. Brilliant feeling. Brilliant oh, feeling. Nothing better when you both come out and go, whether that's theatre or a song you love, or when you go to like a party or a D or a, you're out in a night out and they play a song and the whole crowd goes mental, it's that same thing where you're just like, oh, this is this is what you do these things for, like communal experience when you just go, this is why you go to the cinema. Absolutely. Can I had that last night? I went to see Paramore last night at the Hydro in Glasgow. Um, right. right. And it was like, every, I mean, it looked as if everybody was just having their best time. You know what I mean? I it's that, you, did it go when the did still into you? I bet the crowd kicked off. Not only is that like this song that kind of gets everybody into them, but in Scotland, there's like the GBX remix. The G- or it's the GBX it's, remix I love. It's totally turned up. So I, and I, I almost don't think they know that. You know what I mean? Like Paramore don't know that. Why would they? You know it's what I mean? It's a shame because so, if they'd come out and done that GBX remix of it, it would have went off. I mean, it was. It, it did go off the way it was, but I mean, imagine they did that. But that GB, I was in Lanzarote, I think it was Lanzarote, and it went on in a pub, and it was like, I, and it was one of the ones I thought it was just me and my pals knew. It, do you know what I mean? The GBX version came on in Lanzarote, and the whole pub went tonto. Aye. So that was that was crank. However, I, they stopped the concert three times. One, because somebody had to get taken away in a stretcher, passed out. Oh. Second time, somebody was fighting, I think, and then the third time, they broke the drum. They broke uh-huh. the drum. So, the, so it was a pure, like, start stoppy. That's weird. <laughs> it was well, weird. Welcome to Glasgow, isn't it? You go. <laughs> and she's like, thank you for being so patient. And it's like, it's all right, we're just sitting here waiting. Well, you know what I mean? else. We can't do anything else. We're waiting you, so. <laughs> Take your time. Aye. Sorry, I'm still into you. Uh, listen, I thought I'd seen this film, right? Uh, Moulin Rouge, right? I, I, I thought I'd seen it. Uh, uh-huh. I would have sworn to you I'd seen it when I was younger. There was a, I went on holiday one year, I think it was to Barcelona or something, and they did it at the resort or whatever, right, or their version of it. So obviously it wasn't a big production, but they did the songs and stuff. Um, watching it back this week, I was like, I don't remember seeing this. Um, it might have been just the Lady Marmalade music video I'd seen. Yeah, I was going to say, it might have been, actually. Because you know it, I mean? it was on MTV all the time. We're between Lady Marmalade and Come What, Come what May. Right. I think, and also, I, and they were always on MTV, so it might have been that you've seen the music videos and went, I think I've seen the film. Totally. And I love that song. It's one of those ones that always comes on. It makes you think of Moulin Rouge, even though I don't know it as well as other people do. You know what I mean? It's just that, it's just that immediate drop. Obviously, it's the music video, but it draws to you to that kind of time in the mid-2000s, early 2000s. Well, it's also, that's that's the stage show. They start the stage show with a click. He's filming my soul. It's just the, the day yeah. that, so that's the opening number. Cracking. That sounds good. What about um, Ewan McGregor, right? Like, I mean, I love Ewan McGregor. He's one of my favourite actors. Um, what did this kind of do for him? Like, obviously, 2001, it's between Star Wars. It's like five years after Trainspotting. Like, yeah. it, it, was this a huge... Get another breakout for him, or was it just well, another one of his jobs? I don't know. See, I'm not sure Moulin Rouge. I don't know what they. I never even checked to see like what kind of box office it did or anything. Mm. Like, I don't know if it was like as my. I think it was out at the time. Musicals were still a bit untrendy. Like, I think musicals yeah. always get through. I think Chicago came out maybe the year after and that sort yep. of spiked musicals again. Mm-hmm. I felt like a lot of folk didn't really know Moulin Rouge. Yeah. If I'm and being and just, I also, I just don't think people knew what to expect either. They think no. Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor, like, what is this going to be? Oh, and, I mean, 
It's, it's that thing of like, because I did Panto a couple of years later, and we had come up, maybe did a wee come up me section at the end. And I was, I remember thinking, a lot of the audience don't know this song. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, this isn't as like, well known a tune as I would like it to think it was. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I mean, that, I mean you and McGregor's eyebrows are quite crazy in it, aren't they? They've really, the makeup <laughs> design really filled the eyebrows in with a black eyeliner, like, named his business. <laughs> But I think also it would be a big role for him in terms of I don't know MD knew he could sing like that. It's a weird it's it's a weird style of singing, isn't it? It almost uh, comes for his toes. Uh-huh. I mean when he sings um Elton John, like that first bit and all the lights going in Paris, I still get the goosebumps. Uh, I remember yeah, just yeah, yeah. Oh, oh man, I couldn't love this any I mean being in the cinema, I can still see me in this. What did you think it? Were you watching it? Got your musicals person, Chris, or are you I- like I think it definitely definitely depends on the musical. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't love them all, but I do love my slight few. And I did really enjoy this one. I loved how wacky it was. I loved how oh, absolutely mental oh, it seemed. Oh, you know what oh, I mean? Um, and I'm going to Paris in June, and I'm just thinking, is this what it's going to be? Is this? Unfortunately not. When I went to Paris, I was praying for it to be like that, but it wasn't. It yeah, off, the, off, the, off the plane, and it's just everything's going mental and singing. And, and everyone's going, can, 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 can. Love it. <laughs> I was really hoping that's what happens, but maybe not. Uh there's a, the character Toulouse, right, is so funny. Um, he says on the stage at one point, like, oh, I, I don't know what to say, or I can't, I can't remember my line or something, he says. And maybe think, obviously, he kind of mentioned it earlier on, but in terms of you being on stage, whether it is Panto or whatever, it has something, I mean, the whole thing is just a disaster, like the last performance, uh-huh. right? All this stuff happens yeah. and that. Has anything happened to you on stage where it's just a total, like, we cannot fix this disaster? Obviously, nobody's hopefully died on stage, we, but like, I mean... Aye, nobody's been shot at by a duke. I don't think. Yeah, I've died of consumption. I've no had a close death. Oh, we've had stuff where, like, you're calling on an actor, like you're doing pan on one of the actors actually collapsed in the wings and had to go to hospital and they're oh. under. And so all I knew is somebody came in and was like, eh, fill time. And I was like, huh? And so you're filling time, going, I've no idea what's going on. And then all of a sudden an understudy comes on and you're like, ah, what's going on in the wings? At Christmas Day in Wizard of Oz, I had my wee dog in it. Right. No, this show, I don't know if she was if the dog was on when you came to see it. Sometimes it was a puppet. No, it was it was a dog, eh? It was a dog, right? So we dolly. I was like, I'll put the, the dog in it for Toto at the end. But there was one show where I go to thing me a turn around and they passed me the puppet. And I know the dog's backstage, and I'm like, <gasps> and so I've got this puppet in my horn, and they've gone, it's everything, and they're, they're nodding, going, it's okay. And I'm still doing the last bit and all that. Dolly's fine, she's fine, but in my head, I'm going, she's no, she's died, and they don't know, they don't know how to tell me. They don't know how to tell me my dog's died. While singing Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you, probably with a big mad stary eyes, thinking the dog is dead, the dog has died backstage, something's happened when I've been on this stage, oh no, what's happened? Of course, the dog was totally fine, she just needed the toilet, so it was like, didn't want to come on stage, because um, I'd forgot to take all that at the interval. Phone the RSPCA to me, uh, but... <laughs> Like there's always and panel stuff goes wrong all the time. Right. There's stuff where you know tech. Where about one of my first shows I'd ever done, I was on stage as an actor and about a scenery fell out the sky. Luckily, oh. everybody. Like when I went to see Spider Man years ago, I went to America. My holidays and it was just when Spider Man was opening in Broadway, and I thought I'm going to go and see a preview of that. Mm-hmm. Well, the pure Spider Man gets stuck halfway up in the first minute dangling in the ceiling they were like oh. the right spider-man is having to stop for a moment ladies and gentlemen and this paid actor dangling up in the ceiling for like five minutes till they all had to like try and get him doing it all it was just in front of the audience oh it, it, it was already but uh, i love that do you know what i mean and in a way like you're lucky i've had stuff where 
I forgot to come on once for a show and left another actor on stage by themselves for like maybe only 10 seconds, but I was... She was like forever. Things. Yeah, but she was like, thank you for that. I've just been standing there doing nothing <laughs> for 10 seconds. Um, like, things, I think I think those things just happen all the time. Like, luckily, it's never been a like life-threatening, horrible disaster. Right. There's been fire alarms galore. I've had multiple fire alarms for you, especially in Pant, when you're then standing outside with the audience dressed as Dorothy. One year, I was a prawn cracker. Outside, my ball dressed as a cracker. Do you know what I mean? In the pouring rain, you're just like, yep, there goes the illusion. This is Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas, one and all. The cracker is standing. Um, all those sort of, like, I kind of, that's what I love about it. Like, you go, I think that's why we all go to see live theatre, that you want right. the feeling of, I remember years ago watching the Crankies and her microphone pack fell out while they were doing a routine and it be- and I was screaming with laughter. I was just like, this couldn't be funnier. She just dealt with it so brilliantly. And I went to see it again because I loved it so much. I was like, oh my, and I, I think the Crankies are amazing, right? Yeah. I absolutely think Jeanette Cranky is a god. And um, went to see it again and it turned out it happened every night. It was, it was fe- part of the thing. I was devastated. Were you? Were you devastated? De- devastated. Like, I hate a false corpse. I've never date as an act. I never date from directing a pan. Oh, I'm like, ah, you don't do a false corpse. I know it's things and loads of folk love to do it. I can't bear it because of that no. experience with the crankies. I was like, no, nah, it needs to be live. And if you if you laugh in that night, laugh, that's fine, but don't fake it. Make it real. Folk want a real experience of um, when we mess up, let's just run to it, but let's no kid on we're rubbish. Let, let's try and be the best version of what we can be when it all falls apart. It's all the mere glorious. Also, I, I tried it once. I had to do a fake corpse in a panel. The director asked me to do it right at the very beginning. And I, I cringed every time I did it. I was just like, I don't think I'm a good enough actor to make this seem no, real. I know, but do you know I think when you need to fake laugh, it just seems so, like, you can't do it. Like, anybody, I love laughing, but you can't fake it. Like, no, see, you're taking pictures of somebody and they're like, oh, do a smiley one, do a laugh. And you just start laughing. It's just so random. It's horrible. I hate it. And it makes it genuinely makes me cringe and my skin crawl. I kind of um not to change topics or anything, but like what about the, the moment where Satine dies, right? Right backstage. They've just killed this scene. No pun intended. They've just smashed yeah. this scene. Um they go backstage again and she dies there on his arms and stuff. Oh my god, what a shit. I was like, whoa, I was totally taken, it floored me. Uh, it was totally, uh, total tone shift, you know what I mean? And and then you get other bits when you go back and re-watch it, right, because it's the first time you've seen it. See if you went back and watched it again, the moment when she first appears on the big trapeze, Aye. and when you watch her get lowered down, you see her face for the first time and it immediately cuts to her dying. And then it oh, goes back to her face. Really? So flashes are dying right the very first time you see her, you see her death shot and all that as well. There's like, loads of quick cuts and stuff in there that kind of try to be artistic, yeah. Aye, and then you go, oh, it's all there, like, because it's Greek storytelling that they all she's going to die. And 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 I think that's, I've always loved a Greek play. Like, I love all the Greeks because they'll go, this is a play where we all die at the end, and then you still go, please don't die. Um, and yeah. I just, it feels quite like a Greek kind of tragedy, which is, I think, why I also love it. Like, it's kind of camp and... Yeah. And it's a big... I, I like nothing better than when they're all singing and greeting and dying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> anybody that hates a musical is like, why is she singing? She's Dean. Why is she singing? And I'm like, shut up. I'm having a good... I mean, I bawled my eyes out at that scene at the cinema. Like, Imagine. Uncontrollable. <laughs> like, what should have 
What did you make of The Greatest Showman when it came out in 2017? Because it's almost like the modern day attempt at something like Moulin Rouge. As greatest Showman, I think because I knew the soundtrack before, I think right. everybody knew that soundtrack, didn't they? I expected there to be a story in between. Mm. It just felt like loads of pop music videos and there wasn't any like actual spoken, there was hardly any spoken words. I think the music's amazing. So, yeah, absolutely. And even the reimagined when they did that cover album was really good yeah, too. Totally. And like, I love the reimagined, like the Pink and Kelly Clarkson and all that. Yeah. Like, I think it's really, the music's really good, but it didn't have this sort of, and also like, Moulin Rouge feels me of day. Right. Do you know what I mean? It feels like a gayer story. It's much, it feels really, and I, I, in some ways, I think I was probably coming out at that point as well. So I think I was just really into that, the kind of campnessy and the kind yeah. of, you know, no, there's no to say the great showman's butched by name, and I mean, is it butched? <laughs> but um, right. it's no quite as flamboyant. I don't no, think Milan Rouge, do you know what I mean? I love all that kind of big decadence over the top. And also the pop, like the, the original songs of Great Showman are, are brilliant, but I loved that it was pop songs and all that, where the bit in... Right. The bit where it goes into material girl, like Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, they mm-hmm. do a totally bit. We're living in a material world in the day, a bit of Madonna Vogan. I was like, oh my God, it's back in my brain again. I can't That's believe that. Madonna references. Oh, I've got Kylie. This is all I need. It's like everything I love in one big, like, cauldron. Yeah. I guess when I saw The Greatest Showman, I was like almost expecting to be pure, like, uh-huh. uplifted. You know what I mean? And I just wasn't, but the soundtrack's great. And I it just didn't cry. I think it's right. that weird thing when you know, it's like years ago, I remember hearing the soundtrack of Wicked, and I was like, I can't wait to see this because mm-hmm. I loved all the songs. And I was like, that song's so sad. I'm going to greet it that. But then you watch it and you're like, oh, I didn't feel that. I didn't, didn't hit. Like, the song is amazing, but something doesn't quite hit. Got you. Like yeah. that we great as showman. There was bits where I was like, I don't know who I'm meant to feel sorry for here. That's always an issue in films, I think. Who am I supposed to like you? You know what Aye, I mean? Like, I don't know if I feel sad for you. No, I know. Um, so this is the Good Bit podcast. I always ask my guests, what is your favourite bit or the best bit of this film? Hardest question? Probably. No, I, I know it. Oh, I've got two bits. I'm all allowed Right, I'll do two bits. Um, Elephant Love Medley, where they do, um, where they do love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. All you need is love. And they do all the hundreds of pop songs ending on Dolly Parton. I will always love you. Yeah. Fireworks go from the back. That whole song is, I remember just watching it going, it's like 30 pop songs all mashed into one big thing. It shouldn't work. And yet, I had my hook, line, and sinker, and I can I can tell you every intonation the two of them do in that song. If you put the song on now and dip the volume, then I'd be bang on time when you put the volume back up. Do you know what I mean? That bit, and when the day the big tangle to Roxanne, yeah, I just I just was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. So they're they're probably the two bits that. I when I think of Milan Rouge, and also probably I'll have the Kylie up here in his great face still. So, so, so unexpected, you know what I mean? Um, but I, they, they bring my two bits, I think, that jump out at me. Nice. I, I always like the bit at the end. Well, I say always, I've just saw it for the first time, but I like the bit where he's he's just leaving at the end and, you know, he turns around and he joins up just before she dies. And yeah. he, he joins in. That's one of my favourite bits. Beautiful, bit. come with me. And he yeah. does high notes and all that. Oh, it's smashing. It's a cracker. Uh, okay, cool. What else is going on just now then? So you got what's what's lined up, what's coming now, up the rest of the year? 
now, and it's not even deliberate on Stella Musical Theme, I start rehearsals this actually this week for um, a show up at Dundee Rec called No Love Songs. It's uh, Kyle Faulkner, who was lead singer of The View. Right, it's, oh, aye. It's his solo album, and I'm... Um, and it's a musical based on this this album called No Love Songs for Laura. And it's uh, myself and Kyle's partner, Laura, we've we've written the book and it's Kyle's songs. And it's a two-hander musical. That's, uh, so we start rehearsing that in Dundee. It's going to the festival. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the venue, but it does Dundee. And then it goes on to the festival. I think venue to be announced. That's right. <laughs> Just keep posted. Keep us posted. Right, let's do that. So I've got that the new and uh, yeah, I've got that, and then I've got an Autumn More, which is a musical working with Nova Sound, nice. going in a couple of weeks called Meet Me at the Knob, and it's a kind of imagining of years ago there was a kind of group of men who wore drag in the twenty eight uh, the nineteen twenties, and they were like bribing court judges, and they were totally running the Glasgow kind of gangster world. So right. it's a can I we imagine in a wee vignette of what that might be like? Nice, very good. And you're not on the socials, are you? As well, you just come off. Date, I don't date any. I'm one of the old people now that just. I reached <laughs> a point where I was like, I'm not spending wasting too much time on the socials, and I'm being I'm doing it for nosy factor. So I know I can I completely came after socials, and now I'm one of the annoying, irritating people that are like, I don't do that. Uh, it's, <laughs> it actually, it's only because I've got no willpower. So I know, it's so weird. One minute you see something dead dead funny, and then the next minute you're talking, you're seeing someone like sending threats to someone. It's just there's no point. There's no point oh, in seeing it. I've still got a hidden secret social account where I can go and see the bin fire that is Twitter every now and again. Do you know what I mean? Aye. And that just reminds me why it's better not to be on it. Aye, totally. Absolutely. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast total, today. It was a total pleasure, Chris. And please come back if you want to do something else. We can do another Absolutely. film. We can chat more horror films, more daft horror films. Maybe I'll watch oh. the new Child's Play. We'll, we'll do that one. What one? The, the latest Child's Play. Did you know say there's one? Oh, that's good. I watch it. I think you'll like it. Okay, cool. And then if you watch Smile, we can do that one as well. I'll do Smile. I'm going to get somebody around to watch it. But I... <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Johnny. See you later. You too, Chris. Take care.